chapter 4. We've been, uh, all this whole year, uh, here we are the second week in August, and we're still talking about the supernatural, amen. We're still talking about uh, the word, the Lord gave us that word that, uh, at the end of last year, heading into this year, that 2019 would be a year that the, the supernatural becomes our new natural. And we've defined the supernatural uh, as we've talked about it and looked at it. We've, deci- we've defined the supernatural as simply being any time we get God involved in our situation. So if you, if you invite God to come in, we've, we've talked about that and looked at that, how that the, the simplest way to enter into the supernatural is just say, Lord, I need your help in this situation. Lord, get, I, I, need, I, wanna, I want your opinion. I want, I want, you know, what are you saying in this situation? Well, when you invite him to come in, all of a sudden everything changes. And it becomes, you know, the results can, can turn into supernatural results because now you've got him involved in it instead of just you. And because when, when you are the only voice, when you are the only one, when, when it's in your mind, when it's just, you know, your thoughts and your, uh, just, you know, no, you know, and you're not involving God, then, then you know, that, that, is, that limits what, what you can get and what you can receive. Because how many of you know that, that none, of you, none of us are really nowhere near as smart as God is? I hope you all realize that. And, you know, so when we get God involved in a situation, it opens up a whole new arena, a whole new area of, of uh, answers and possibilities that we didn't have involved before. So, we, you know, so, so we're talking about getting God involved in our situation. The last few weeks, we've looked at a bunch of different things concerning the supernatural, about faith and about speaking and about receiving and, and different things. But in the last three weeks, I guess, we've been talking about hearing God's voice. And that if we're going to walk in the supernatural, if we're going to receive from God, we have to be able to hear Him. And, and the, over the last couple of weeks, I've tried to, um, as we've talked about this, we've tried to take the weirdness out of it. You know? Because so many times when, when, you hear people, when you hear people say things like, I hear God, they automatically get weird on you. They're automatically like, oh, you can't hear God. God doesn't speak. God doesn't, you know, what are you talking about? Hearing God. Well, the, the reality is God speaks in, in probably more ways than we can even count. And God can speak to you and minister to you and get a message through to you using anything. If you think just real quickly through the Bible, just, just at a glimpse, without even digging much into it, you think of the way God spoke to people. God spoke to people in dreams. God spoke to people in visions. God spoke to people through animals. Right? I mean, he used a donkey. And if he can use a donkey, surely he can use us, right? He, he used, I mean, you know, he, he used uh, other people. He used, the Bible says, the Bible even says that, uh, the Bible even says that, that nobody, nobody can stand and say that there isn't a God just when they simply look at creation, that creation speaks. Think about that. The trees speak to us of God. They show us that there is a God. That you know, a tree didn't just happen by itself. Animals didn't just happen by themselves. Human beings didn't just evolve from a blob somewhere. You know, so even creation itself speaks. So you see, there's all kinds of ways that God speaks to us. It's not limited to the, the audible voice. Most of the time, when you know, the reason people make it weird is because they think, oh, you're just hearing voices. Well, the reality is probably very 
probably a very slim portion of people will actually ever hear the audible voice of God. Like when, and now God did do that. If you remember the first time that, that Jesus, when Jesus was baptized, remember when he, was, when he went down to the River Jordan and John baptized him? When he come up out of the water, the Bible says the heavens opened and, and he heard a voice from heaven. Literally, a voice out of heaven spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. At, at the Mount of Transfiguration... Another time that God spoke audibly and people heard him, you know, the, uh, if you go back to the Old Testament, the children of Israel and Moses, God spoke. And now at times, it said a lot of times people thought it thundered, you know, when they heard the voice because they, they couldn't distinguish the voice. You have to, you have to be willing. We, we made this statement last week, I think. You know, it's really not about the, the ability to hear as it is about the willingness to hear. Because God is always speaking. He's always trying to get a message through to us. He's always communicating with us. But we have to be willing to hear Him. We have to be willing to have, have an open heart and an open mind to where we see what God is saying and, and we hear what He's saying. So, so last week we, we started looking at some real practical ways that, um, that, that God speaks to us. And the number one way, you know, Brother Hagin taught this very, probably as well as anybody that I've ever heard uh, teach this. So I, when I teach on this, um, I use most of his, a lot of his material in this, and and so these points that we'll talk about some, you know, came from, um, you know, from Brother Hagin's experiences and 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 his teachings on this, and it's, of course it matches up with what the Word says. But but the the number one way that God speaks to us that that He'll speak to all of us um, is through the inward witness. You know, it's just that inward knowing. It's just. Uh, you just have, some people might call it intuition. Some people might just call it, you just have a knowing on the inside. Like something, you know, something's about to happen and you just know something on the inside. Well, that's an inward witness. Romans chapter 8 tells us, he says that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Now notice very clearly now, see, because where people get messed up here is that they try to, they try, uh, when when you start talking about things like this, they try to get their feelings and their emotions mixed up in it. But notice what in Romans chapter 8, as we looked at that, the Bible didn't say that, that God bears witness with our feelings, or it didn't even say that, God's bear, that God bears witness with your mind. Amen. It says that, that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. So, when, so where is that inward witness at? Where, what, you know... Uh, how do how do we accept and how do we acknowledge that inward witness? Well, it happens on the inside of us, in our spirit. If you try to understand God with your brain, with your head, with your thoughts, with your emotions and your feelings, man, you're going to be messed up. <laughs> you know, because because God, you you can't explain God, you can't understand God, you can't understand Him fully in your brain. You can't, you know, you try to figure out how God works, and and you try to figure out what His next move is, and and He's He always does something far different than what you what you think you figured out. Amen. Why is that? Because because God doesn't want us to figure us out in His head. He's a heart God. If you study the Word, everything with God is about your heart. He, he is after your heart. He's after the core of you. He's after the center of you. He wants everything in your life centered around Him. 
he, he's, the Bible says he's a jealous God. In other words, what that means, he's not jealous in, in a negative way. He's just jealous that he wants all of you. He's not satisfied with just, just enough of you on a Sunday morning and then you never do nothing, have nothing to do with him the rest of the week. That doesn't please God. What pleases God is when he has all of you. Amen. And so that inward witness is the first. We talked about last week about, you know, we shared story after story about just uh, the inward witness speaking to us. If you weren't here, you can get, you can check it out on the, on the, uh, our, our website or get a uh, CD of it. But, but we talked about that inward witness. The number two way, the second, the second way that God speaks to us is very similar to the first, um, is the inward voice. The inward voice. Not talking about God's audible voice, but talking about our, the inward voice. Now, what is that? We are a three-part being. We've, we've talked about this at length. We're a three-part being. We, we are a spirit. We have a soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. And we live in a body. You know, and the spirit part of us is more real than any other part of us. The spirit, the spirit on the inside of you is what will live forever. One day, this body, if Jesus Harris is coming, one day we'll lay these bodies in the ground, all, all of us, if Jesus Harris is coming for, for another 50 years, 100 years, however long. I don't believe it'll be that long, but, but if Jesus did tarry is coming, guess what? All of us, all of us, these bodies will, will go back to dust if Jesus Harris is coming. But you know what? Your spirit man will live forever. The question is just where and with whom, Right? Because the Bible tells us that when you become a new creation, when you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, He doesn't come in and, and give you a new body. He doesn't come in and give you a new soul. Now, a lot of times you'll hear the terminology, people, people will say, well, so many souls were saved tonight. Well, really, that's not right. Because what happens is not your soul that gets saved at, at the new birth. It's your spirit man that gets born again. Amen. Now, I know that's just, you know, cutting hairs per se, but, but, but you know, people say that you're, you know, so many souls, but really the soul of a man is our mind, will, and emotions. It's, it's, the, it's how we think, and it's the, the, the intellectual part of us. And, and actually, I'll show you a scripture here in just a moment where it says that, that we have something to do with the saving of our souls, God, now we, we have nothing to do with the saving of our spirits other than just receiving Him as our Savior and accepting what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we know that Scripture says that, that we become a new creation. All, all thing, or old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Well, we know that He's not talking about the outward part of us. He's talking about the inward part. And we know, for the most part, I think the majority of us would agree, that he's not talking about our thoughts and our emotions. How many of you still had some of the same thoughts you had, you know, before you got saved, you still had them after you got saved? And, you know, there's, and, and, and it was like the Lord was telling us, now you have something to do. You have, you have to start letting your spirit man take, take charge instead of your flesh taking charge. Right? So the inward witness and the inward voice, they're very similar, but here's, here's something that we have to realize. All three part of us, all three parts of us, the spirit, the soul, and the body, they all have a voice, and they all speak. The spirit man, the voice of our spirit is our conscience. 
And we'll, we'll prove this out and we'll show this to you through Scripture. The, the, the voice of our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, the voice of our soul is reason. How many of you have ever tried to reason things out? Try to, try to you know, make sense out of something? Well, that's your reason. That's your soul trying to make sense out of it. And then the, the voice of your body is feelings. You know, let me come up and, let me come up and smack you on the hand or uh, on the top of the head, and, and your, body will say, your body will say, ow. That's feelings. That's the voice of your body. So see, all three of those, your, 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 your feelings, trying to reason, and then your conscience, they all have a voice, and we have to be able to distinguish. Because one, one of the biggest questions people talk to me about when, when we sit down and start talking about uh, the things, you know, being led by the Spirit and, and, and understanding, uh, understanding the voice of God is this question, probably the number one more than anything else, this question, how do I know that it's me or God? You know, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to distinguish, if I'm trying to figure something out, how do I know it's just not me and that it's God speaking to me? Anybody ever had that question? Um, I mean, you know, and, and so, so the, but here, the biggest, pro, or the biggest thing that you have to do is this. You have to qualify what you mean by me. If you're talking about, if you're talking about your feelings, then yes, that's you. But if you're talking about what's going on on the inside of you, then that very well could be the Holy Spirit talking to you. Because here's the thing, the conscience, our conscience, um, our conscience is what will talk to our spirit, which in turn talks to our soul, which in turn feeds information to our body. Does that make sense? You know, how many of you have ever... Let me, let me give you an example. How many of you have ever... Um, been having a conversation and, and maybe maybe uh, maybe it upset you and and you said uh, you said something that you shouldn't have said you said something that hurt the other person you know you attack them with your words well immediately immediately uh, your conscience rises up on the inside of you and says you shouldn't have said that you know you need to apologize you need to make that right well. Then, then all of a sudden, when your conscience says that, that goes over into your your the soulish part of you, your mind, will, and emotions, and all of a sudden you start reasoning out. Well, if I if I tell them I'm sorry, then they're going to think I'm weak, so I can't say I'm sorry right now. Or it'll say I need to make this right so that so that this don't prolong, and and I need to make you know I I need to because if I don't make it right, then this is going to happen, and and you start reasoning things out. And then, once you start reasoning things out, once you make that decision, it, it gets transferred over into your body to do something about it. Into, your, into the feelings, into, into, the, into the, side of, the side of your body to either speak or to, to hug or to, to run away or to whatever. But you see, but it all started with your conscience. People, because here's, here's something that we have to understand about the Holy Spirit. You realize it's not the Holy Spirit that convicts you of sin. When you're a born-again Christian? Did you realize that? So many times we pray, or we, we say things like, well, the Holy Spirit convicted me of, of, of lying, or convicted me of saying that. The Scripture tells us the only thing the Holy Spirit convicts of, He convicts the sinner of the fact that they don't have Jesus. So what, so what is it that convicts us? What is it that makes us feel sad, or makes us, or makes us know that we've done wrong? It's your conscience. 
Have I got the right group here? Are you all doing okay? It's your conscience that, that, that tells you, hey, you, met, you missed the mark on that. You messed up. Now, the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us helping us, but He doesn't... Con- you notice in that list, in the list in John 14, when, when Jesus said, I'll send another comforter to help you, you notice that the word convictor is not in there? He's a comforter, a counselor, an advocate, a strengthener, a standby, an intercessor. But the seventh or eighth or ninth or tenth quality of the Holy Spirit is not a convictor for the Christian. Why? Because, because remember, when, he, when, when you became a Christian, all, your spirit man got reborn. It got recreated. You're a new creation on the inside. So all of a sudden now your conscience, your conscience, the voice of your spirit, is now remade in the image of God. So your conscience is what will tell you, you know, hey man, you, you shouldn't have said that or you, you shouldn't have taken that or, you know, you shouldn't have went there. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there cheering you on saying, hey, you're right, you're the righteousness of God. You don't, you shouldn't be saying things like that. You know, you're better than that. He, he, he will, the only thing the Holy Spirit will convict you of, the Bible says in John, I think it's John 15, the Bible says he will convict you of righteousness. In other words, he, instead, of, instead of telling you how bad you are, He's going to tell you how good you are. In other words, when you miss the mark, He's going to come along and say, hey, as a righteous man, a righteous woman doesn't do that. Here's how a righteous man will act. Let me show you that. Y'all, y'all are looking at me like, like crazy. John, turn to John 15. Let's look at this. Just to show you that I'm not making this up. It's always good to go with the Word. Amen. John 16. I said John 15. John 16. Now listen to this. John 16, verse 7. This is Jesus. This is in red. If you've got a, if you got a Bible that, that shows red letters. This is in red. So Jesus is talking here. And he says this. And we'll just start reading in verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, the amplified version of that, the word comforter, is the word paraclete in in Greek. And it says this, it means this, the, the meaning of paraclete is comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and standby. So notice in that, his description was not a convictor. Amen. So then Jesus goes on in verse number 8, he goes on to say this, And when He is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So that that word reprove there, that word reprove means to convict. You know, so He's going to convict, he, he He convicts certain people, but notice what He says. He convicts of, he convicts of, of uh, in verse 8 he says he convicts, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then he goes on to describe this. Now notice this in verse number 9. He says he will, he will convict of sin because they believe not on me. So if they don't believe on him, who is he talking about? Is he talking to born again believers there? No, he couldn't be. Because in order to be a born-again believer, what do you have to do? You have to be a believer. You have to believe. So here he said he convicts the world of sin because they didn't believe on him. 
So that he's talking about, he's talking about the lost people. Because the Bible says that you can't even, you can't even receive Jesus if the Holy Spirit doesn't draw you in. Right? So he convicts the world of sin, but then notice what he says in verse number 10. He convicts of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So, so verse 10 he says that he will convict the, the, the believer of righteousness. Now what does it mean to convict of righteousness? That word convict, that word convict just uh, uh, conveys the image of that he will, he will show you and he will explain to you what righteousness is. Now what is righteousness? And how do we get righteousness? Do we, do we attain righteousness by our works? If you, if you step, why am I getting into all this? We're talking about hearing from God, but that's all right. Uh, um, righteousness. You know, Paul explains that righteousness, that if you, if you try to get your righteousness by works, that it's like filthy rags. It's useless. But righteousness is what? Righteousness is a free gift that we get at salvation. The Bible says that Jesus became, He became sin so that you and I could become, or be made righteous. So we're not made, we don't become righteous because of our good works. We're made righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Because He took our place, He paid our price, He died on the cross for you and for me. And because of that, since He took our place, we can take His place, which means that we are now in right standing with God. So when, when the Holy Spirit, when, when He comes in, when we miss the mark and we sin and we, and, we, and we do things that we shouldn't do, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us of sin. He comes alongside us and said, Hey, you are in right standing with God. You are a man or a woman of God. Here is how a man or woman of God operates and works. They don't do that. Here's how they operate. And this is what you should be doing. So it doesn't convict us to shame us or convict us to, to make us feel bad, the Holy Spirit is always going to lift us up because He's convicting us of righteousness or He's, he's reminding you and I that we are in right standing with God. Amen. Glory to God. That's good. Yeah. Amen. Then He goes on to say in verse 11, He says, "...of judgment because the prince of this world is judged." Now, man, what a what a thing he said. He said that he convicts the world of sin. He convicts the the Christian of righteousness, and then he reminds the the amplified says this about judgment. Verse eleven, he says about judgment because the ruler, the evil genius, the prince of this world, Satan, is judged and condemned and sentenced already is passed upon him. So he convicts he convicts the lost person of of the sin of not believing on Jesus. In other words, he draws them in and tries to get them to believe on Jesus. He convicts the, the Christian of righteousness, reminding us that we're now in right standing with God and we have a and and you know we we can come up to that level of living to understand that we're in right standing. But then also he reminds the devil every day that he's already defeated. How does he do that? You know, I, I believe how he does that. I believe one of the ways he does that. I believe one of the ways he does that is that he is because he has convicted us or convinced us. That word convict, another word, I, I meant to say this earlier. Another word for that word convict, convict is convince. You're trying to con, he's trying to convince us 
of something. And what's he trying to convince us of? He's trying to convince us that we're in right standing with God. And if he can convince you that you're in right standing with God, then guess what? It slaps the devil in the face and he, and, and he tells the devil, you can't have him because he's in right standing with you with me. Come on. So he convicts three things. He convicts of the, the, the lost of not knowing Jesus. He convicts the, the Christian or convinces the Christian that they're righteous, that they're in right standing with him. And then of judgment, we're not, you know, the Bible says that you and I, we don't have to fear judgment because Jesus took our judgment for us. And he reminds us, when, when he convinces us of righteousness, he, commands, he, he reminds us that we're in right standing with God. And if we're in right standing with God, we're not judged. Glory to God. That's good news. Amen. So, your spirit, man. So, I, said, I guess I said all that just to get back to the point that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us and He is, he is communicating with our spirit. He bears witness with our spirit. But he also, the, the still small voice of God, the still small voice is our conscience which, which helps us stay on the right path. How many of you have ever been, been uh, just about to do something and your conscience speaks up and says you shouldn't do that? You know, and, and says, you, you know, you really shouldn't do that. You need, to, you, know, you, need to, you need to say this or you need to keep your mouth shut. Or you need to, or you need to go over here, or you need to get away from this place, or whatever the case may be. Well, that—that's the Holy Spirit. That's that still small voice. That's your conscience convicting you, convincing you that you're righteous, that that you that you can come up to a higher standard than what you're trying to, what you're the direction that you're currently living in. So our conscience, or our, that still small voice on the inside of us, God's still small voice. Our conscience, if you are born again, your conscience is a safe guide. But the problem, here's the problem with our conscience. The Bible says that if you ignore your conscience and you, you, uh, and you keep pressing it down and you keep, you keep uh, ignoring your conscience, that you can actually sear your conscience. Look with me, look with me at, uh, let's see, let's look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Did I tell you to go to 1 Timothy? That's where I told you. Okay. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. We see that. I mean, we see that all around. You know, let me just say this. You know, when you see these mass murders, you see these people that go into, into Walmart and into these nightclubs and into these places, we, unfortunately, we see it way too often in America. I mean, it's, it's disturbing, really. But, you know, here's the way I view this. Nobody in their right mind is going to go in there and do that. You know, if some, if you, if, when you see somebody go in and just open fire on, on innocent people, you know, you can almost, I can almost guarantee you that they are possessed or oppressed or depressed or something of the devil in a tremendous way. Nobody in their right mind would do that. It's not a gun problem. I mean, it's, it's a heart problem. Amen. And, you know, and, and so, so here he said, that, I mean, you know, 
here in Timothy, he was saying that, listen, in the end times, there's going to be people giving heed to seducing spirits and to, uh, to uh, doctrines of devils. And, you know, there's, I mean, man, I won't even get into the, some of the conspiracy theories that I believe about that, those things, but, but you know, about, about how the devil is just infiltrated in so many areas that he just convinces people to do things just to get the to get the focus off one thing, so he can so he can be at work over here, and he gets everybody's attention over here, and this over here is all of a sudden not noticed because something major is going on over here. And you know how he does that? He gets people to believe seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Amen. That's just a side note. I won't charge you nothing for that. Amen. Going on to verse two, he says this. But here's what happens. He says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So, so when people live, when you keep doing things, even if, listen, even if you are a Christian and you keep, you keep doing certain things, you keep sinning, you keep going down a path and just, and just habitually doing something that you know is not right, how many of you know that, that, now I know all of you guys are, are good people and you wouldn't do this, but but there are people that now I'll tell you this story and you can and there are people out there that'll do this. But there's people that there's people out there that, that they'll do something one time and they'll be fearful that they're going to get caught and they don't get caught, so they think, hmm, maybe I can do it again. And they do it a second time. They don't get caught. Hmm. Okay. Well maybe and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden they start hearing these voices. Well, maybe God doesn't care that I'm doing that. Do it a third time. Nothing happens. And you know what? Every time they do it, it gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier and a little bit easier to do it. What's happening to them? They are searing their conscience. They are, they are pressing their conscience down and they're listening to the voice of their body, feelings, they're listening to the voice of their, their, re, their soul, reason, and, and they're reasoning it out, saying, well, since I hadn't been judged, since nothing's happened to me, God must be okay with me doing this. And they keep doing it and keep doing it. And you know what? When they do it the umpteenth time, they don't even, they don't even hear their conscience anymore. And that's what Paul said. When people get seduced with doctrines of devils and, and lies of hypocrisy and things like this, it says that their conscience becomes seared. I tell this story about my grandmother, uh, my dad's mom, uh, they lived on a farm, and, and they were just real simple people, and and you know, and and they raised all their food, and and just you know, and, and just lived out in the middle of nowhere. And but she she would have a coffee pot on the stove. She always kept one of those old. It was one of those old uh, iron coffee pots, you know, like a tea. I, I don't know. I, I, I just call it a coffee pot, but it was just a, this pot that had a spout on it, and, and she kept it on the stove all the time, and it always had hot water in it. And and she could she could take she could take water out of that thing, boiling hot water, make her a cup of coffee, and just sit there and sip on that and act like it didn't even bother her. Man, I took I warmed up something in the microwave the other day, and didn't realize how hot I'd got it and put just one bite in my mouth. And man, that thing burnt my tongue. I, I spit it out and started coughing. It's like, gosh, man, that hurt. You know why? Because my my taste buds it burnt my taste buds, and I was just like, ouch. But there my grandmother was, she could take boiling hot coffee and just sit there and drink it like it was iced tea. Now why is that? Why, how could she do that? 
Because over the years, she had done that so much that, her, that it had seared her taste buds to where she couldn't even, she couldn't even feel that hot drink being, being on her tongue or going down her esophagus. And see, and that's exactly what happens to people a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. They give in, they give in, they give in, and before they know it, their conscience gets seared, and they don't even, they don't even realize it, but they can't even hear their conscience anymore because they've given in to those things, and now they're living a lifestyle of sin, and they're stuck. And people have a hard time getting out, and that's how addictions happen, and that's how things like that happen. But Paul said, or Timothy said here, he said that he said that um, you know that that you can sear your conscience. So we we have to make sure that we keep a tender conscience toward God. Anytime when your conscience speaks up and tells you that you know you need to repent or you need to say you're sorry or you shouldn't say that or you shouldn't go there, be quick to listen to your conscience. Learn that your conscience is working for you, not against you. And keep a tender conscience. And Because, listen, the reality is your conscience is speaking to you, and a lot of times it's speaking to you, the voice, the voice of God is speaking to you through your conscience. And so much of the time we put it off and we think, oh, well, that can't be, you know, that can't be very powerful because that's just, you know, that's just me thinking. Well, listen, the, you know, God designed us with a conscience for a purpose. He designed us with, with feelings and, and different things for a purpose. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, we don't, we don't need to involve our feelings at all. But that, you know, if, if God didn't want you to have them, He wouldn't have gave them to you. Amen. So He designed our conscience to be a safe guide for us, and we need to keep that tender conscience toward God. If you... Uh, if you study Paul and you look at his writings in the New Testament, I think there's like six different times that he says things like, I have a clear conscience toward God and toward man. Paul talks about, talked about his conscience many times. I think it's either four or six times Paul mentions his conscience in his writings. So, so Paul realized, I mean, you know, Paul understood the power of his conscience, and it's important for us to. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. Let me show you this scripture. We're talking about learning to hear His voice. And part of learning to hear His voice is understanding that our conscience, our, that still small voice on the inside of us, that is what, that is, what is bringing uh, conviction to us, not the Holy Spirit. Not, you know, it's not God convicting us, making us feel bad. Our conscience, it's, 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 the, it's the, our spirit man on the inside of us saying, hey, you need, to, you need to get things straight. Why is it important for our hearts to be clear and our conscience to be clear? Look here in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. Well, look at verse 19, actually. Verse 19, it goes along with this. Uh, let's just read that from the Amplified, just to save a little bit of time here. We'll just look at it from the Amplified. Verse 19 says this, By this we shall come to know, perceive, recognize, and understand that we are of the truth, and we can reassure, we can quiet, cons uh, uh, conciliate, and pacify our hearts in His presence. So there he said that, that we can quiet down our hearts when we get in His presence. But now look at the next verse. He says this, Whenever our heart 
is in tormenting self-accusation makes us feel guilty and condemns us. He says, for if we are in God's hands, for, for He is above and greater than our conscience, our hearts, and there he even, he even interchanges the word conscience with our hearts. He says God is greater than our hearts and our, or our conscience, and He knows, perceives, and understands everything. Nothing is hidden from Him. So he, here he says this. He said, listen, he said that when we go to God, we can quiet down our hearts, we can reassure our hearts in His presence, but if our heart condemns us, it, notice it didn't say that if God condemns us, it said if our heart condemned us, then God is greater than our hearts, and He can reassure and quiet down our hearts. It's not God condemning us, it's our heart or our conscience. It's the, it's the inside of us. It's that still, small voice. The, the, the King James just says this, for if, your, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and He knows all things. He goes on to say in verse 21, He says, Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. So if we have a clear conscience toward God, then we can have confidence to walk in His, th- His throne room and ask boldly whatever we need. But it's when our conscience is condemning us, and our conscience is is in self-accusation, in other words, saying, who do you think you are? You can't go into the throne room. Look at what you've done. You've made a mess out of this. You've said this. You've done that. You've gone here. Well, it's not God saying don't come in here. It's our conscience. So what do we do? We get into His presence to quiet that that down and to say, God, forgive me. I I, I repent of that. I, I I need cleansing for that. And as we do that, we receive God just overwhelms us with His love and His mercy, not His judgment. And then he goes on to say in verse 22, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. Well, if, you're, if you don't have a clear, a clear conscience, you're not going to ask much of God. But if you, if you have a clear conscience, in other words, remember, what are we talking about? We're talking about learning to hear God in our, on the inside of us, leading us and telling us what's right and what's not. And when we have that clear conscience, then guess what? We can ask whatever we want of God according to His will, and, and we'll receive it. Amen. Man, that's good news. So conscience is the voice of our spirit, and, and it's your conscience that will relate to your mind or your thoughts, you know, what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. God doesn't communicate to your head. He communicates to your heart, to your conscience, to your soul. I mean, to your, to your spirit, I mean. And then your soul, your mind, will, and emotions picks up on that. And, and that's Romans 8. We looked at that, that, that the spirit bears witness with our spirit. So, you know, this, this whole thing is about a spirit. It's about, about your heart being right with God. Now, and, and, and this goes right along with, with seeing, being able to see yourself the way God sees you. Because when we, when we have a, when our conscience is, is condemning us or accusing us of something, then, you know, we're not, we're not going to see ourselves properly. Um, let me think how to say this. How many of you have ever, um, how do I say that, Lord? How many of you have ever, ever, uh, thought that somebody was mad at you and they really weren't 
you found out later that they weren't anybody. I mean, you know, you, you really like, you had in your mind that, that because of the way somebody looked at you, because of the way they, because they didn't talk to you or because they said something to you in a negative tone or something, you walked away thinking, man, that person is mad at me. They're upset with me. And, you know, man, this is horrible. And, and, and it'll just eat away at you thinking, thinking, man, this person is, you know, man, I, I, what did I do? And I don't know what I did. And, and you know, and, and it'll just drive you crazy trying to figure that out. And, and it will actually affect when you see them in public. A lot of times you'll even avoid them because you think they're upset with you. You know, that you see them, but they don't see you, so you kind of go the other way. You know, and all the time, it's just in your head. It's not, it's, it's, it's your perception of how, of how your relationship is with that person. And it will affect that relationship, right? Well, how many of you know that it's the same way with God? Look at this one, we're going to end with this, Matthew 25. And this, this one parable that Jesus gives here in Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> and this is all about perception. This is an amazing an amazing story that he tells here. Matthew chapter 25, and it's familiar. You've probably heard it many times. But Jesus is telling this parable of the talents. And we'll just read this real quick. And he says, for the king... Now, this is Jesus talking and, and making a point here. And, you know, uh, talking in parables. So he's, he's using natural examples to make a spiritual point. He says, for the, this is Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. So he divided up his possessions among these three people, these three servants, and then he went on his way. And he's going to be gone for a long time. So he leaves. And it says, uh, um, let's see. Let me see. And then verse 16 says, So then he, ha he who had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them another five talents. So he doubled the talents. So instead of the master had trusted five talents to him, now when, when the master comes back, he's going to have ten talents to give him. And says, and likewise, he that received two, he also gained another two. So he doubled his as well. But now notice this. It says, but he that had received one went and digged or dug a, a hole in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of these servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Or in other words, he came to, to, to get back his material. You know, to get back his possessions. And it says, so he, so he that received the five talents came and brought unto him five other talents, saying, Lord, thou delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides thee five more talents. So his Lord said unto him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I gained two other talents besides. And notice that he says the same thing. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of my Lord. So he said the exact same thing, whether it was five talents or two talents. 
And now we're getting ready to read about the guy that had one. If he had doubled it and he had brought back two talents, the Lord would have said the exact same thing. Notice it's not the amount that the Lord was dealing with here. It was what they, what they did with what he gave them. So let's look in verse 24. It says, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Now listen to what he said. He said, Lord, I knew thee that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not strawed. And it says, And I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth, uh, so he says, so there that you have what's yours. So he gave him back a dirty talent and said, now, he said, you gave me one talent, now here it is. Here it is back. And his Lord answered him, and he said unto him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawn. He said, you ought therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming, I should have at least received my own with, with usury or with interest. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that has shall be given, and he, that hath, uh, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, what a, I mean, that's a very interesting story. Why would he say that? I want you to notice just something real quick in here. It was the perception that each man had of the ruler that caused them to do something with the talents. The first two, the, the five and the, the two, we're not really told that they said much, but they knew. I mean, th listen, all three of them, they were all servants of the same master. So they all had the same relationship with him. I mean, they all knew what type of man he was. They all knew, you know, what he was like and what he did. So, all, so the one with five talents and the one with two talents, they probably thought in their mind, well, man, I better make something out of this and give him back more than he gave me. So they did. That's what they did. But the guy with one talent, he said, I, knew you, he said, I know you are a hard man, and I was afraid to do anything with it, so I just buried it. So see, his perception of this ruler being a hard man, stopped him from doing anything with the talent that his master gave him. And his master said, his master said, you are slothful and lazy. He said, the least you could have done was put it in the bank and, drawn, and I would have drawn interest off of it. Now notice the master didn't even, he didn't even really object of the opinion this guy had of him. He just said, if you knew that about me, then you should, have, you should have done something with what I gave you. So what I, what I want you to see is this. The perception we have of our Savior, of our Lord, the perception we have of God will determine what we do for Him. If you think that God is a good God, then you know what? You won't be afraid to step out and do good things for other people. But if you have this perception of God that He is mad and angry and that He's out to get you, then you know what? You're going to go hide under a blanket somewhere and not come out. And say, I'm not even going to try because if I mess up, I'll get zapped. And what, God, and what He's saying here in this parable is this. When you have the wrong perception of who your Master is, who your Lord is, it will affect what you do for Him. So see, when, you have, when your conscience 
tells you that God is mad at you, then you, you will hide from Him instead of running to Him. It's what happened with Adam and Eve from the very first story in the Bible. Adam and Eve, they, they had such a relationship. Could you imagine the relationship they had with God where He walked with them in the cool of the day? Every day He came down and they walked in the garden together. Wow, what, that must have been incredible. Until the day that they disobeyed God. And then, the Bible says that afternoon, when they heard the voice of the Lord, they ran and hid themselves. Because they, they said, we're naked and we're ashamed. And God asked them the question, who told you you were naked and ashamed? Because see, now they were fearful of what God was going to do to them. Their perception of God changed, so their relationship with God changed. And if we, don't get, if we don't learn to have a clear conscience, if we don't learn to have a tender conscience toward God, it will affect everything in our life toward Him. All of a sudden, we'll start avoiding doing things for God. We'll start avoiding reaching out and helping other people. We'll, we'll, start, we'll start saying things like, well, God doesn't speak to me. I don't hear God. Because we're afraid of what God might do to us. Do you see that? And it's all a perception. Because we know that God is a good God. He is not mad at you. He's, in, he's radically in love with you. And He is not mad at you whatsoever. So therefore, you can't... Listen, you can't do anything to make God mad at you. <laughs> That's how in love He is with you. Now, yes, you can you know you can do things that would disappoint him and 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 not and you know and, and not please him, but you know what? It doesn't affect his love. But what it does do when you do those things, what it does do, it radically changes how you hear from him. Because listen, how you see him is how you hear him. Let me say that again. How you see him is how you hear him. In other words, Adam and Eve, when they heard him before, before they messed up, man, they went running to him. They, they enjoyed their walks. But now, since they messed up, and the enemy told them, now, now, you know, now you're like God. Now, you know, you know good and evil. And, and, you know, and when the glory lifted off of them, now all of a sudden, they were afraid of God. And when they heard God, they ran from him instead of running to him. So how they saw God affected how they heard Him. And it's no different with us. When we see God as a good God, then when we hear His voice, we know that he, that is for our good. But if we see God as, as a God that's mad at us and angry at us and that, that He's out to get us, then when we hear the voice, you know, instead of really hearing His voice, all we're going to hear is thunderings and lightnings and we're going to run from it. We're going to be like the children of Israel who told, Mo, who told Moses, you go talk to God and tell us what He said. We ain't getting nowhere near Him. Why? Because their perception of God changed. And the way they saw God was the way they heard Him. I want, see, I want you to see God as your loving Father. As, as, as the God who, who gave His Son to die on the cross for you. That in your, in your worst moment, He still loved you. And He loved you enough to give Jesus for you. And Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross for you. 
And, and Jesus loves you enough to give the Holy Spirit to you after He was resurrected from the dead. And the Holy Spirit loves you enough to, to reveal everything about Jesus to you so that you can live for Him the rest of your days here on this earth until He comes to bring us home with Him. You see, that's the way we need to see God. And when you see Him that way, then you'll hear Him in a fresh way. And when you hear Him, when you hear the voice of love that He speaks to us, then it'll change everything. See, so every day, I wrote this down, every day as you hear God's voice, your knowledge and your wisdom, your power and your abundance will increase. But more importantly, more importantly, God's character will be formed on the inside of you. See, as He speaks to you, the main reason that He speaks to us and what He's after is so that, so that His character is formed in us. And we become more like Him every single day of our lives. And, we can, do, and we, can, we can receive more from Him when we look like Him and we act like Him and we talk like Him and we pray like Him and, and, and everything lines up just like Him, then guess what? We'll, we'll be doing pretty good. <laughs> That's the easiest way to say that. But you have to see Him right. You have to understand that your conscience is helping you. It's that still, small voice on the inside of you that helps you live that way. And if, and if, you've, if you've seared your conscience, if you've, if, you've, uh, you know, if you've lived a lifestyle where you say, man, I, you know, my conscience is, is not a safe guide right now, you know, all it takes is say, Lord, forgive me for that. I repent of that. I turn, I, I, make, I make the choice to go the right direction from this point forward. And from that point forward, you know what? He, clear, he cleans and clears your conscience, and you can live with a clear conscience toward God and man. That's good news. Listen, that's, that's the gospel, right? The gospel, good news. That's, that's really good news that we can, that, that, that man, that he came to save us, he came to deliver us. He came to set us free so that we can live our life for Him. Amen? Let's bow our heads just for a moment, if you would. If you're here today and you might say, you might say, Pastor, I don't, I don't know Jesus. I've never accepted Him as my Savior. But today I really want to, I really want to get to know Him. Today, there's no better day than today than to accept Him as your Savior. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I'd love to be able to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you don't have a relationship with Him, if, if you, maybe, maybe you've seen Him the wrong way. Maybe you've seen God as somebody who is angry and upset and mad at you, and, and He's after you. But starting today, you say, man, I want, I want to see God as a God who loves me. Because that's, that's really who He is. He's a God that loves. He is love. Anybody at all? Let's stand to our feet just real quickly. If you have a need, if you'd like prayer, I want to invite you to come down. Stacy and I would love to be able to pray with you. Uh, we love putting our faith in agreement with you and, and believing, believing with you uh, for prayer for anything. If you need healing, if you need deliverance, if you need salvation, whatever, whatever the case may be, just if you need any prayer, we want to invite you to come down and, and, uh, and pray. And as we pray for these that come down, just stretch your hands out, out toward these and we're going to pray and believe, believe God with these. Hey there, how are you?
God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we got prayer tonight at 6, so if you'd like to...